Hi everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Marketing Week's This Much I Learn podcast. I'm Charlotte Rogers, Associate Editor at Marketing Week and today I'm joined by GIFGAF CMO Sophie Wheater. Sophie joined GIFGAF as marketing boss in 2018 after more than a decade in senior roles at O2. Two years later, in June 2020, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Continuing her work at GIFGAF, over the past two years, Sophie has found a way to balance her thriving marketing career with her illness. Working while undergoing cancer treatment is sadly far from unusual. 900,000 people of working age in the UK are having treatment for cancer, according to Working with Cancer data, a number expected to rise to 1.1 million by 2030. As a leader balancing the demands of a busy marketing team with a cancer diagnosis, Sophie has so much to share on how she's taken a health crisis and turned it into an opportunity to create an inclusive culture. Welcome, Sophie. Hi, Charlotte. So, Sophie, your decision to continue working and manage your career following your breast cancer diagnosis is inspiring. How did you go about communicating your illness to your team and the wider organisation? So, the first person I told, actually, was Ash, the CEO, Um, because I felt like I needed to tell, as in literally the first person. My husband was at home. He was doing a a VO, a voiceover recording as part of his job. So I couldn't call him um, and I wanted to tell him face to face, but I knew I couldn't be back in work that afternoon. And so I WhatsApped Ash just saying, just so you know, it wasn't great news at the appointment. So he had already, that was kind of as much as I said, I think. And then obviously I told my family, I had this weird hiatus where I'd gone in to have the lump checked And they told me at the appointment that it was probably cancer, but they'll let me know next week. So I had a week of, it's probably cancer. Um, I don't really know what to do with this news. And Ash was brilliant and said, look, just take the week. Um, So I sort of disappeared, which is quite unlike me in the work environment. And then when it was confirmed that it was um, I agreed with Ash that he would tell the rest of the leadership team, but I wanted to tell my own team. So I told just my direct reports um, and it was over Zoom because this was all at the time of COVID. So none of those normal human interactions were happening between anybody, really. And I told, obviously, by the time I told my DRs, I told quite a few people. I told my family, I told my, you know, my friends, I told. So it wasn't new as I said the words I remember stumbling because what I couldn't tell that and I had I wanted to be strong when I told them because it's hard news to take right if you're sitting on the other end of it and it can be triggering for some people so many people have been touched by cancer so hearing the news from anybody else can kick off a whole load of stuff um, with whomever's sort of taking it on board and so I was determined I'm going to be you know I'm going to be Strong's a really sort of weird word to use in this scenario, but I, I wanted to be together when I did it. And I think I was fine until I said, so I'm not sure when I'm going to be back in. And then I think that moment of what's going to happen in the future became so intangible that that kind of, that got me a little bit. But my team were just absolutely phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Um, so... Once I told them, and I kind of made it clear, look, it's not a, it's not a secret, um, because what I didn't want is for the business to think I'd just sort of disappeared. Also, I've been here for a while. I'm 
really open. It's just part of my personality. Um, I'm a big believer in authenticity at work for creating um, a culture where people can be themselves. And so it would have felt completely wrong for me to hide it. Um, So when it came to the wider business, once I had, um, you know, I'd had the diagnosis, then we found I had an operation and we found out it had spread more than we thought it had. Um, so at which point I was told I needed to have chemotherapy, which I was hoping I was going to get away with. I, for a period, I thought maybe I had cancer light um, was the way I termed it, which, by the way, I don't think anybody has cancer light, just to be clear. But it was sort of my own my own way of sort of viewing it all. It's like, it's OK, it's a really small lump and they can just whip it out and I'll have some radiotherapy and I'll be, you know, back at work in a few months And then when they took it out, they discovered that actually it was far bigger than they thought it was and that it had spread quite extensively into my lymph nodes. Anyone who knows anything about cancer, once it gets into the lymph nodes, it's much more dangerous because that's the gateway to the rest of the body. And clearly, if it gets through the lymph nodes, it starts to spread, which is why everybody, you should check your boobs regularly. And even if you feel a tiny lump, you should get to the doctor because if you find it early enough, it's dealable with Um, I had a weird type of cancer that felt like a small lump that when they got in there, it was actually much bigger. So then I thought, well, I've got to tell the business. I start chemotherapy soon. Everything's going to change. Um, And I did a workplace post. um, And that's how I let everybody know. And it was it was quite it was a difficult thing to write, I guess, because I was trying to give my story up to where we'd got to. Again, massively aware that it's triggering for so many people. But equally, I didn't want people not to know what was happening. And I wanted everyone to know I was really proud of the team and where they were at. And I had complete confidence in them while I was going to be off. And I just, um, yeah, I just wanted, I wanted them to know. I didn't go onto Facebook and talk about it at all. So I didn't kind of go public in that way. Um, go public. Um, But on workplace, it felt like this is the best way for me to have the conversation, particularly because no one's in the office as well. So I told everybody through that medium and the support and love and amazingness that I got back was just, I mean, it was phenomenal. It made the whole period so much easier knowing that I wasn't having to navigate a difficult work scenario. And I know from my surgeon, my oncologist, the breast cancer nurses, I know that that is not the case for so many people. And that while they're going through this turmoil and dealing with small children, small children at that time as well, whilst you're dealing with all of that, having to navigate a slightly hostile work environment must be a nightmare. So um, I am forever grateful to gift gaff and all of the people here and um for really supporting me i think it's testament to you as a leader how much you've thought about other people you know the way you're saying you know that actually you were so conscious it could trigger other people's emotions and their own life experiences and i wondered when you put that post out whether you know the wall of a kind of love must have been amazing but it must have been a lot for you to take in because you're at home it's the pandemic and you're putting very personal information out there and telling people and I suppose you have to kind of brace yourself for that wall of love which must be amazing but it must have been a lot I mean it was phenomenal you know I wept as I read through it um and you know in preparation for this podcast I had a I went back through it because I knew that we'd be talking about this and I just go back through and just think my god 
the amazing levels of support. I mean, to be honest, it's all in a bit of a haze at the time. And you're right, there was that amazing outpouring. I think one of the reasons that I didn't do anything in the sort of world of Facebook was because I couldn't respond to it in a big way. Work felt like, okay, I can tell people and then I'm not expected to get back to people. But in a Facebook realm, I kind of feel like, well, if you're going to open the conversation, you can't just leave people hanging. And I certainly did not have the emotional capacity for that at all. But within the workplace, I knew that I was in really regular contact with Ash. So I knew that if people wanted to know anything, they could go to him or go to any of my DRs and ask about anything. And so I felt protected, really, with dealing with that sort of massive virtual hug because I knew I didn't have to get back to it if you see what I mean Um, and people were really understanding of that the whatsapp messages I got you know no need to get back to this just wanted to say da 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 it's amazing I mean I wanted to ask from a career perspective what felt like the most daunting thing about opening up about your diagnosis did you think I'm doing so much you know there's so much that I want to do like we're thriving as a team did you start to think okay what does this mean for my career I really want to give you an answer that tells you that I was really concerned about my career. But at that point, they'd also found a lesion on my liver early on as well. Um, And so there was a chance that it spread to my liver. And a quick Google will let you know that you do not want that. And that wasn't something actually that I shared with the business at the time, because I felt like that's just... That was quite personal and actually just really unfair to, uh, yeah, I, I let people know right at the very end when I found out, you know, it's, it's a good ending. When I found out that what was on my liver wasn't cancerous, but I had sort of six or seven months to go through not knowing whether or not it was on my liver. And because it was so heavily in my lymph nodes, there was quite a good chance that w- what was on my liver was was cancer. So if I'm honest with you, I was thinking about as my kids, you know, at the time, Wilf was four, Saskia was six. They were, um, I mean, it sounds a bit of a strange thing to say, they were a good age for it to happen because they didn't have any preconceptions of what cancer was. So the whole narrative, I could lead the whole narrative. Um, and it was very much, look, mummy's ill. Um, mummy's really ill. Um, so I'm going to have to have some really strong medicine that's going to make my hair fall out. It's that strong. Um, and, uh, and also you're going to have to be really careful around me, seeing me, touching me, kissing me, because there's obviously COVID going on at a point when, you know, my immune system is on the floor because of chemotherapy. So to be honest, I was managing so much at home and managing so much in terms of, oh my God, am I actually going to be? I mean, without wanting to be dramatic, and I tried not to go there, but you have your darker days when it's like, wow, this is it. This is, you know, my time has my time's been lovely. It's been amazing. I've got some great friends and a beautiful family, but um, trying to come to terms with the level of mortality, which, which at one point led me to walking around graveyards and looking at headstones of people who died much younger than me and thinking... So I've done all right <laughs> in my slightly more morbid moments. <laughs> you know, they were back in the 1800s, I would say. It's like, life's been pretty good compared to the 1800s. Um, that was definitely one of my more self-indulgent moments. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking about my career. 
I wasn't thinking about the future of my career. I was really keen to retain a level of normality. And that's where work was absolutely amazing. Um, and the people in my team, um, so two of my DRs, George and Abby, stepped up to cover my role um, while I was away. Um, and they did an absolutely phenomenal job. Um, and they did a phenomenal job of letting me be part of things, but also really being aware of um, me not putting too much of myself in. Because I, as soon as I found, um, for anybody that's had chemotherapy or watched anyone go through chemotherapy, um, I was in three-week cycles. And the first week is pretty horrendous. And then the second week you start to feel a bit better. And then you've got a third week. And the idea with that third week is you can kind of recover and build up the strength again to go again for the second cycle. And I was really keen. I was like, right, well, I'll be able to work my second and third week. And I spoke to Ash about it. And he was like, whatever works best for you is good for us. Um, I was really aware I didn't want to confuse things when I came back in. I didn't want to undermine people. I didn't want to change direction. But equally... I wanted a sense of um, I'm still worthwhile in this business, um, which everybody was brilliant and said, of course you are. But the flip side of having such an amazing team was I did get to a point where I was like, there's kind of no point me being here. They're doing brilliantly without me. So there was that was probably from a career perspective, that was probably as close as I got to thinking about the impact. And it was much more granular day to day you know, massive amounts of pride for my team, particularly for George and Abby. Um, but then I couldn't get away from the fact that it was like, shit, they never needed me at all. Um, <laughs> which was, again, a little bit self-indulgent and Ash had to field a few of those conversations with me. But long-term career-wise, quite, I really was not anywhere near my my priority list. I was grappling with some really massive things around my own mortality and my children and you know my ever falling out hair I didn't think about it in terms of is it going to stop me being CEO one day no completely I actually feel silly asking that question because it's kind of one of those things where yeah I mean with face with what you were dealing with it's like yeah it just puts so much into perspective but the way you talk about how the business responded is amazing and I think you know it, you know, you've got the empathy, you've got people understanding, people stepping up. But like the fact that you're on a long term journey with your with the diagnosis and then kind of the stages you had to go through. So how did the business respond and how did you respond to all those different stages you had to go through? Because obviously you tell everyone and there's that wall of, of empathy and understanding. And then there's the day job and you're having to manage with chemo and it's the pandemic. How did the business kind of how did you navigate that? I had some really open conversations with Ash my manager and you know you do have to you, you've got to have those conversations that are away from the emotion of it a bit and it's things like what's the sick policy am I going to be paid through chemotherapy how many days do I get before I drop to half pay I mean this is something that now as I've moved further on and um, I mean I'm still undergoing a level of treatment now but of course it's not in any way near as as heavy as it was but you know I'm in a I'm in a good job with a you know my husband earns as well I was on a salary that meant you know we weren't worrying about a roof over our heads 
And I think about, you know, you mentioned in your introduction the number of people that are currently working with cancer and the policies that surround sickness at work, I would urge everybody to look at because I was in a lucky enough position that A, I had the human understanding and empathy of my CEO. I had a level of um, trust from him in terms of the days that I was working and the days that I wasn't working. And between us, we worked it that, so from a, a sanity perspective, I was able to work the days that I could because I was so desperate to cling on to that normality but also from a financial perspective, because there's only a certain number of days that you are allowed off before you don't get paid. And when I think about people across the country, not in as financially a stable position as I am really privileged to be in, my heart breaks because trying to deal with, you know, my children were rubbing the hair out of my head and gathering it in my hands. I was trying to normalise it for, you know, the going boldness for them. They were asking me whether or not I was going to die. Um, they were asking me, why does cancer happen, mummy? But why does it actually happen? Why does it happen to you? What is it about you? That's, you know, these tiny little brains trying to wrap their heads around what was going on to their mum with a husband who's also working and homeschooling for parts of it and without, uh, you know, the support of like my poor parents who I didn't see throughout the whole of it because of COVID you know, and he's also dealing with an enormous level of emotion and fear. And that happens in every family where this happens. You know, that's not pertinent just to me. That goes on with every diagnosis in varying forms. Then to have a financial worry on top of that just makes my heart break. And so, you know, one of the reasons I was really happy to have this conversation with you is it's not just, oh, it's here's me and my story. It is about urging businesses to look at what they've got in place for people with um, with a cancer diagnosis. You know, you've got to do six months of chemotherapy just to be alive. And so if you're in a scenario where your work does not support you through that, I mean, what do you do if you're the sole breadwinner? How does that work? Um, and I just think that while there is, you know, the level of emotional support that you can get from work can be amazing. And it was in my case. And I'll come on to how I think there are different ways of garnering that culture in other businesses, because the emotional support is hugely important. But just the, you know, the conversations that you then have with, you've got to have conversations with HR about occupational therapists assessing whether or not you're fit to work. Um, you know, and I was desperate to get back into work for my own sanity. But there's the whole financial world to navigate as well. And I think that my HR support was brilliant. The occupational health um, therapist was brilliant, um, really helped me step back, actually, because I sort of felt like, well, I should be back in now. The chemotherapy stopped. When I look back, I was in pieces um, and I thought that I should just be getting on with it. Um, and I spoke to the occupational um, health nurse um and she was just like oh, I don't think you're ready to go back yet <laughs> she was right um and I'd had I'd had the conversation actually while I was going through chemotherapy still working um it got to the point where I was going in and my blood tests were showing that all of my neutrophils were 
too low to actually have the chemo. And that means your neutrophils, didn't even know I'd had neutrophils until like three months earlier. Your neutrophils are an in, uh, a purely indicative of your immune system. Again, under the umbrella of COVID at this time as well. Um, and my neutrophils were on the floor. So they couldn't, I had four occasions where I went in and they couldn't give me the medication. Um, and so I, you know, had conversations with friends and they were like, you have to stop working. You've got to stop. And um, and I, and again, had the same conversation with Ash and we decided that I just had to tap out. I couldn't keep, yeah, I just couldn't keep doing it. So I stopped for a while and I thought I'll be back after Christmas. Um, and again, I let everybody know via workplace that that was what I was doing. Again, tons of support for the decision to step away from work. Um, you know, lots of people recognising from a leadership perspective, it was good to see somebody putting their health before work. Uh, and actually, I didn't end up going back until probably, gosh, I can't even remember. I think it was maybe the end of February by the time I'd had my chemo and then my radiotherapy as well. Um, and I needed that time off but as does everybody and that's where those difficult HR salary conversations need to come in and unless you've got a culture that is supportive that must be I mean it must be horrendous to have to navigate that at the same time. 100% and I wanted to ask you about that about how you how you go on fostering a culture of openness and support where people feel like they can have those conversations about their physical or mental health because there's so many organizations where people genuinely don't feel like they can yeah I completely agree and I think it's one thing in gift gaff that is really special I think it's really really special and the culture was one of the main reasons that I I mean I was I'd stopped working and actually I got a phone call and said, do you fancy working for GIFGAF? And I thought, I know that culturally they're amazing. So the culture was already set up here and clearly you've got to contribute to that culture on a day-to-day basis. Everybody in the business has to, I believe. Um, As a senior leader, I think it's really important that you keep that alive. And I think you keep that alive by being yourself Um, because the more you are yourself and the more authentic you are, the more authentic everybody else feels like they can be, I believe. Um, and I think it runs right up into the brand as well. You know, as a brand, GIFGAF has always striven to be completely authentic, completely transparent. You know, at moments when there have been mistakes made, we've owned up to them, we've spoken about them, we have, we've, we've done what we believe is the right thing to make it right. And I think... At a brand level, you need that level of authenticity to exist within the business to properly live it at a brand level as well. And so when I came into GIFGAF, I was really comfortable just being myself. I mean, it's one of the things that I've always held really dear anyway around my, God, it sounds really poncy, my leadership style. But I think authenticity is so key because it's just easier you're not pretending to be anybody else. You're not feeling like you've got to put on a facade for anything. And there are varying degrees of authenticity and honesty, obviously, with different people that you have at work. And, you know, certainly over that period, I had some really personal conversations with my my peers, really helpful, brilliant personal conversations that I wouldn't have had, you know, with the whole business. So, you know, there are degrees of authenticity and honesty and you I guess you just you naturally know where that line is, or at least I I know where the line is for me anyway. 
And I think when people see a senior leader um, being open and vulnerable, it gives permission down the business for other people to be the same. Um, And I've always felt that before, you know, before cancer as well, I've always felt really strongly that if you can share yourself properly, people will share themselves back. And then actually you forge these great relationships at work and then you're happier because you're having more fun and then you do better work. And so I don't, I mean, cancer aside, I just think it's so important to try and foster that level of authenticity and which ultimately leads to friendship and fun and more creativity and, you know, when the shit hits the fan, people come together to try and support, you know, people aren't trying to work out who to blame. That's a culture in which I thrive. And it's a culture in which I think most good people thrive. And so I think it's really important to try and build that. And then when a personal crisis happens, the culture's there. You know, it's not like I went into this cold culture and said, hey, everybody, I've got cancer. And suddenly it warmed up and the whole business became a different place. That's not what happened. The business was there already. And that was top down and bottom up and sideways in. You know, everybody here is accountable for that culture. I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to deal with this. I I dealt with it in the way that was authentically me. For a lot of people, there could be a completely different way of dealing with it, which is actually not wanting to talk to people at work. That is also completely fine. Um one thing that I've certainly learned on my cancer journey is that people have really, really different ways of dealing with things. And, you know, right down to people choosing not to take certain medication that in my mind, I'm like, why wouldn't you take that? That's crazy. It's not crazy at all. That's their decision about their body and the way they want to lead their life and have control over their lives. And I think that comes, again, right back into the workplace. If you don't want to talk about it, you should not have to talk about it. What I would say is that I think having a level of trust with your manager, as a manager, being able to lean in and have those conversations as a human being, not a manager, is hugely helpful. So if you have a person in your team that is going through a health crisis of some sort, or even long-term health conditions, because they are also... Um, hugely prevalent in the workplace. And I think people feel nervous about talking about them in case it holds them back career-wise. And I think even if somebody just wants to tell you and they don't want the rest of the business to know, that's fine. But be human when they tell you. Lean into it. Work, you know, try and work around it and support it. There's boundless talent out there. People have things that they have to work through, whether that's physically or from a mental health perspective. And I think the more open we can be as a society in accepting that, the easier it is for those people, whether you want to be authentically out there as I was or personally quiet about it, the easier it is for you to have those conversations. But it's that level of humanity that you can bring to it as a colleague, as a peer, as a manager, certainly that helps cushion the slightly more um, hard-nosed area of the, you know, salaries and sick days and, you know, be human about it because whomever it is that you're dealing with, 
I can promise you it's dealing with a whole lot more than the conversation they're having with you. But I mean, I say you should just be human anyway with how you deal with people. That's, as I've said, the way you get the best work out of people, I think. But if that isn't naturally your style, try and lean into it and be brave and have those difficult conversations with people because it's that's what makes the difference. It makes such a huge difference to anybody who's going through any level of health crisis or ongoing health issue. I think it's amazing what you say about kind of really investing in that culture daily. Like that is a culture that you care about constantly and everyone feeds into so that when something does happen, it's there, it exists. It's not something that you're retrofitting, you know, trying to create a culture because something's going wrong. It's amazing to think that. And, And I wanted to ask your advice really in terms of like how you would help other people feel empowered to have those conversations. Like are there tips that you could share, things that you would say that people should ask or that they should feel comfortable kind of saying like is there advice that you can share in a general sense do you know what one of the easiest questions um this isn't like a big kind of strategic approach to it but one of the easiest questions that you can ask is instead of how are you doing which everybody feels like they need to say oh i'm okay how are you doing today because there's that recognition that every day is different and it just means somebody actually wants to know how you're doing today and at that moment and I think that's a really that's just a really easy tip of like how to have those conversations because it says I'm ready to hear and I recognize that things are really difficult for you right now and day to day it's different I think trying to get to a sort of an established view of what level of sharing somebody wants to do is really important and that is it's a really personal thing isn't it and it's different from person to person but just letting people know look I'm here and that I'm an I can be an ear as well as somebody who can help talk you through things is good it's just sometimes people don't actually need to have the conversations with you they just need to know that you're there to have them if they need it and making yourself available for that is like probably 70% of the job really but then if they do want it try and you know work out how you can be there and be brave enough to lean into it because this is this is management isn't it this is life you're dealing with people's lives when you're managing them I think even more so we see it with a kind of hybrid working we're seeing into people's homes we are you know we're hearing their dogs barking we're seeing their children run in after school or we're seeing people very much on their own and that's another thing that happened through through the pandemic you know so you're getting a real read on people's lives there's a level of vulnerability that everybody has shared just through zoom I think and just just stepping back and just having a bit of a reflection on how you might feel in that situation and therefore what might be helpful is probably the first thing. And then just taking it slowly um, and being letting people tell their story gradually if they need to tell it gradually as opposed to all in one chunk. But knowing also you've got a responsibility. I think that's also a really key thing to remember. You have a responsibility to be good in this situation. And if it's difficult find somebody to talk to about how do I deal with this situation? You will, there will be someone in your network to have that conversation with. And if you don't feel like it's something that's going to come naturally and easily to you, prepare yourself because that is your job. That's, you know, that's what you're paid for as a manager. And if you've got to stretch out of your comfort zone, then so be it. That's what you're there for. 
Yeah, that's amazing advice. Um, and, and I wanted to kind of ask about whether you, your experiences and what you've gone through have changed your opinion or your perspective on your career or marketing in general. You know, has it has it changed how you feel? It's really difficult. So I'm still I'm still on oral chemotherapy at the moment, um, just because I've got a high. I'm at very high risk of it coming back. And when it comes back, it's then it's secondary and it, they can't treat it. So then it's regarded as sort of terminal and you, you live with it. So I'm on medication at the moment to try and stop that from happening. So at the moment, I'm still, I'm trying to kind of forget about it. But I take a tablet twice a day that reminds me about it and makes me feel a bit subpar most of the time. I've had the flexibility with work to drop to four days a week because five days was just too much on the medication. I was just exhausted at weekends. So that has been really welcome. And again, an an easy conversation to have. I mean, I say easy, it took me a long time to get to the realisation that that was probably what I needed. So I think that um, in terms of my longer term career, I worry about what it might be like working somewhere other than GifGaf, because... I don't know that the culture will be so accepting and open to, you know, the, I guess the baggage that I feel like I come with now, if I'm honest, you know, I was in hospital appointments yesterday and they all went a bit wrong and I ended up being in there for far longer than I expected to be and doing a, you know, leadership Q&A from a hospital store cupboard because it was like, I should be, I shouldn't be here now, but my appointments have all run on and it, I really want to be in this session. And, and actually, I'm not doing anything. I'm in the hospital waiting for an appointment. So, um, I mean, I know that that's okay at GifGaf. I mean, kind of okay. I hope it was okay. Whereas another company, there's no way I'd do that. But that would mean I'm then, you know, not in that meeting and I don't know so I do have I've nervousness about moving on if I'm honest because culturally I think very few businesses are set up in the way that we are to support this and you know again that's something that I would urge people just to look around their business and just have a think about how you are set up for people within your workforce if they're going through anything similar to this and then and I also think you know it might come back and and so I don't try to think too far ahead, certainly career-wise. You know, anything that I'm trying to think about far ahead is what holidays can I take my kids on? What experiences can I give them so that if I'm not around in 15 years, they can think, oh, God, yeah, I remember when we did that with mum. So, again, it's not top of my priority list at the moment, thinking what's going to happen to my future career? I'm really pleased to be in a job I absolutely love, surrounded by people that I really do love, you know, working in a way that we are, you know, we're trying to make a difference here. And that's really important. You know, we are, we're trying to always try to be more sustainable, really trying to weave purpose right the way through the business. And that matters hugely to me, hugely to me. And so I'm not, in a headspace of thinking further down the line, to be honest. But I'm so grateful to be in a place where I'm happy. And I would say I didn't need cancer to tell me that I'm happy and grateful. I felt happy and grateful before, if I'm honest. Um, but, 
but you know that's sharpened even more <laughs> um so i'm yeah i'm i'm just so lucky to be in a place where if someone says oh do you enjoy your job yes i absolutely love it um and it is hugely down to the culture like 90% down to the culture and i'm really proud to be a part of that culture and the way we've developed it I wanted to ask, I think you make such a good point about how businesses were also terrified on a personal level about this kind of happening to us. And I don't think businesses think about it at all. And when you hear those numbers about how many people are going to be going through treatment and having been still working because they have to or they really want to, what can be done to make sure that people who are living with illnesses can thrive because they have every right to in the workplace? But I feel like there's a blind spot in business. Yeah, I down at the brass tacks, it's sick it's sickness policies isn't it and I mean I initially I thought you know there needs to be different policies for cancer and and actually I do think that when chemotherapy particularly is involved and I'm I'm not trying to undermine the other treatments that go with cancer and actually there are probably loads of treatments I don't know about that go with cancer but in my experience you know chemo is a, it's a six month thing well it isn't always a six month thing it was in my case and that's relatively standard added to that I've had two one, two, three lots of surgery. Um, I'm due at least another two. I've had radiotherapy. Um, I have, you know, stuff for lymphedema. I have acupuncture, which is more for me, really, just to try and keep my energy levels up because the treatment has also put me into an early menopause. And that comes with a whole legion of stuff as well, which I'm so glad people are starting to understand a bit more because that is very real. Um, And that's also really scary for women in the workplace, I think, no matter what age you're going through. But particularly with any kind of hormonal treatment you're having. So with breast cancer, it's really common that you're then put onto some kind of medication that puts you into an early menopause. And I think that was probably one of the things that I felt a bit shyer talking about and then I thought no sod it this is really important and it's really important for women who are going through the menopause generally to be aware of this um businesses are starting to get their head around the menopause side of things I think good businesses are and I think you know we're seeing really some really great advertising I'm I'm loving the um the tenor advertising that's going on at the moment talking about mummy what's the menopause um, you know, conversations I didn't ever have with my mum, not because I couldn't, I just kind of didn't ever come onto my radar. So that's good. And a, an understanding of that. I think it's looking at sick policies, you know, and I know that they're there. They're there for countless reasons, but I don't think they have the flex and the humanity for people going through longer term issues, if I'm honest. I mean, I've used up all of my you know, all of my sick for, I think, like the next four years or something. I've been massively, massively supported, you know, and I know that, you know, I know that within the, you know, the business that I'm in, we've done everything we can to make all of that work. Um, <clears throat> and I I couldn't have asked, literally couldn't ask, have asked for any more um, from work. But like I said at the beginning, I'm in a really fortunate position where I've got that support. Getting getting businesses to think about it just at the very outset you know is somebody having a length of treatment that surpasses our sick policy let's think about what we do with the sick policy if the treatment surpasses that let alone the mental health challenges that that person might be having to come to terms with that let alone the family challenges they might be having to come to terms with that you know I've got a husband I've 
I've got a friend who's a single mum who was going through breast cancer at the same time as me. I mean, it like literally blows your mind. You don't have to look very far to feel lucky in whatever scenario you're in, right? So for her, she was lucky. Her work dealt with it in a really brilliant human way. I am sure there are countless single parents out there that do not have that level of humanity in dealing with this kind of treatment. And it puts you in a really difficult financial situation. What does that, where does that leave the children? Where does that leave that, you know, who takes them to school? Who makes sure their lunches are ready? Who looks after them when you're on those first four days of chemotherapy? You know, ideally, you'd be able to afford to buy their school lunches rather than have, you know, make sandwiches to take in or, you know, all of those things... You know, you'd you'd like to be able to say to somebody, oh, could you take them out to a park and and, and actually here's some money so they can go and have a nice time to take their mind away from what's going. Money is really important, really, really important. And sick policies underpin that. So that's that's the one thing that I would say, please look at these things, look at the level of treatment that's required and then flex your policies around that. Because at the moment, it's not, it's it's a really old school um kind of computer says no scenario that you're dealing with if you don't have the right people supporting you it's, it's amazing when you when you you know kind of put it like that and you talk about all the things that need to happen and you're so passionate and you're such an advocate for this and it's so amazing that someone's actually talking about this my next question was to say that I really think you've achieved so much but kind of what is next like what's your next ambition what's next on your agenda and that could be anything obviously personally or like in your career what what do you want to do next yeah so um what do I want to do next from a personal perspective I want to (laughs) stay alive as long as I can (laughs) um which I think is perfectly possible you know I'm, I'm I'm not sort of sitting in in the darkness crying to myself about the fact that I might die really soon um, I don't think that is very helpful for, for me. Um, so, you know, looking after my health, generally making sure I've got that work-life balance, which I currently have. I think in terms of um, next things for me, there's some, there's some incredible, um, there's some incredible work that the Marketing Academy does. Um, and I was lucky enough to be a scholar of theirs um, nine years ago. Um, and they, during that time, I really learned about what authentic, authenticity and leadership was. Um, and I have carried that, you know, throughout my whole career. It's, I can't tell you how incredible that opportunity was. Um, they do a fellowship for CMOs. It's really, really hard to get onto. Um, but once I've, I think maybe when I've come off the medication that I'm on and I've got a bit more energy, I'm definitely going to apply for that because... I would like to take my own development to the next level. Um, and and I think also, I guess, try and try and see what I can do more globally is the wrong word, not just within GIFGAF to have an impact on the way authenticity can be driven through businesses, whether that's talking about menopause, gender, long-term illness, all of the, you know, diversity equity which is a something that so many businesses are are grappling with at the moment and and is completely relevant to this conversation I'd like to think I can have a difference there somewhere down the line um I need to get a bit more energy maybe my children need to be a bit less demanding I'm not quite sure (laughs) so 
yeah, I think that that would be where I'd like to head next. So less of a kind of lofty career aspiration, um, as we were talking about earlier, but more of a, you know, having an impact is really, is really fulfilling. And I think that that, you know, and it doesn't have to be in work. You know, you have an impact every day with everybody around you, don't you? Um, And I think if you're in a fortunate enough um, position from a level of seniority, particularly, you know, use it, have a good impact um, because it's ultimately it's, you know, it's the way you make people feel, isn't it? That makes the most difference in life. And when you're kind of lying lying in bed thinking, what have I done with my life? Again, more self-indulgent moments. I like to think that I've, that the footprint I've left is is a happy one with people. You know, I'm not, not Mother Teresa. Um, but just, we've all got control over the impact we have on people. Just make sure it's a good one. Um, and I'd like to learn more about how I can empower people to do that. Sophie, it's been a privilege. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Thanks for being so open. Thank you so much for speaking to us about this. Um, And I know that it's going to change a a lot of people's minds about things and it's going to put a rocket up some businesses to really start thinking about how to just start caring about people in in a really holistic way. Um, We hope you enjoyed this latest edition of Marketing Week's This Much I Learn podcast. And you can check out the next episode coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. That just leaves me to thank Sophie and you for listening. Thanks.